are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam Territory in Vancouver. This is the Art Support with your host, Ileana, and our correspondent, of course. Hello, guys. It's me, Lua. You know us. You love us, hopefully. <laughs> um, so I just want to tell you guys before we start, even start our kind of program where we're going to be talking, we're going to have some interviews with um, some really cool characters coming into the Chan Center and also... Uh, going to talk about the uh, Vancouver International Film Festival. But before that, I just want to give a shout out to the Chan Center because, oh boy, are they giving away some tickets. Hey. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. I mean, every it's free. Like, why not? So we got kind of three, three giveaways going on uh, today. So just a heads up for people who don't know about how to get these sweet, sweet tickets. Uh, just call us on um, on air. You can look at our, our phone number at uh, the CITR radio, I mean, online URL that we have, our website. Uh, it's also 604-822-2487. And what happens if they can't call right now? If they can't call right now, they can <laughs> always Facebook message us on our Facebook site, which is the Arts Report or CITR Arts Report Facebook page. Just give us a message. We are on our Facebooks right now, which is usually like a bad thing <laughs> to do. But like for this, this, but case, it, this is fine. a good cause, you this know, like, yeah, it's a good <laughs> thing We're to be on. To make <laughs> people excited about all these shows. Um, yeah, so we have that going on. Um, so for people who, uh, for these shows that are we're going to be giving away, we have uh, one of the ones from the Chan Center is Hawaii's first official poet, uh, Lucretia, uh, I can't, I'm so bad at spelling names, um, Kiola, I think, I hope, I hope, but we have an interview with him. Um, he is a poet coming to the Chan Center on October the 3rd. Um, his uh, performance is going to be at 7.30 p.m. And we're giving away two tickets from that. Again, thank you for the Chan Center. Um, another tickets that we're giving away that is coming up closer uh, on September 30th, I'm With Her, which is a folk supergroup band, is also giving away tickets to go check them out they look to be like a really really cool band like so cool um and they're playing at the chance center as well at 7 p.m so we got those two and then we also have um a play me and luna are going to and we're very excited about it we're also excited every every actually i saw the feature like i saw the ads for this play last year and i was like when this comes out, I want to see it. It's, it's mine. You're <laughs> like, it's mine. Uh, so we have Incognito Mode, a play about porn. Uh, so already the title's just like right out there, right? Bad in, bad in already. Um, and they're also giving away tickets as well. So we have kind of three shows. Um, so give us a call or message us on our Facebook um, so we can kind of figure out what, tell us what play you want to go see. And the first lucky uh, callers or messengers will be able to score those lovely, lovely tickets. Well, now that we've gotten that kind of out of the way, way. out of the way, in the way, in the way. no, well, out of the way. Well, like I want to say, like out of the way, because it makes me feel like I'm being like, uh, that's not important anymore. <laughs> this is what's important. 
the Vancouver International Film Festival is closing in. It actually starts tomorrow, you guys. So if you don't have a pass or you don't have a ticket pack, if you want it, go get it on their website. Um, otherwise, you can always just buy the tickets for whatever shows you want, you know, because they do sell it them separately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of thing. And, you know, it's a great festival. It has amazing features that you probably won't see anywhere else anytime soon. And yeah, yeah I'm excited <laughs> about it. Like, I mean, what, like if you're a movie lover, and even if you aren't, like, why wouldn't you, you know? And it goes on from, tomor- from tomorrow until October 12th. Um, there are certain screenings, screenings that are gala f- screenings. So I'm not sure how exactly they work. But the fact that it's a gala screening, I'm guessing there's like some kind of party or something. Um, I think. <laughs> we think. We think. I'm not going to confirm that. Confirm or deny. Since if people don't know, Lua is a volunteer. Yes. So she volunteer. can confirm and deny everything that is asked. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. She's lying to the public <laughs> right now. Lua, tell us the truth. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, fest, like some of the like films that you are kind of excited to see. I mean, there's some films that I would love to talk about, and I probably will talk about a lot because I like films. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that you were interested in the two Brazilian. Yeah, I'm also um. So like, I have the program with me right now. And it's literally a book. So if you're interested and you don't want to look online, you like the physical copy of things, in any of the venues for VIF, you can find a program, a complete program, which has every single movie synopsis and schedule. However, sometimes um, extra sessions are added. So you should also check online for schedules, not just the program. Um, Yeah, but the program, I'm sorry, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> it's okay. Honestly, I've been getting those that cold vibe lately. I've been like sniffling everywhere. It's it's the I'm worst. Good. So good, hopefully, hopefully, it, actually, I hate that the I hate that the most. It, like the uncoming the uncoming like sneeze factor, and then not sneezing. It just feels very unsatisfying. Oh, look at this one. This one I hadn't known before. I hadn't seen before, and now I'm really interested because it um, has Emma Stone. Ooh. as one of the main characters and i haven't seen a movie with her in a while now and it's called the favorite um it is an irish movie okay uh, it's going to have its canadian premiere at vif and it talks about um it's a, oh it's a black humor movie it's a period piece in the sumptuous court of queen anne in the 18th century england So it's going to be about the royal um, court and like how they live and a lot of black humor to it. So if you're interested in black humor and medieval, not even medieval, like royal stuff, which to me sounds pretty cool. Check it out, guys. I'm actually not a fan of dark humor because like... I love dark humor. Dark humor is one of my favorite things ever. I get kind of like, I'm not like... I get stuck in the zone where I'm like, do I laugh? Is this this is like really depressing, but also it's kind of funny in a way. It just like gets me in that weird zone, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. 
Also, I want to remind everyone that VIF is not only about movies. There are conferences and there are um, what's different about, not different about VIF compared to other festivals because a lot of festivals do that. But what's interesting about VIF is that depending on what show or what screening you watch, um, the director of the movie might be there. So you can check it on the schedule. And that's pretty cool because you can always ask questions though, like, why did you choose to do the filming this way or that way, you know? Like, it's, if you're really interested in film, it's, it's a really great opportunity for exploring um, more in depth the, the films you watch. I'm sure a lot of like film production and film uh, film study students are <laughs> yeah. like, I guess this is my time to <laughs> learn to be a better student. Yeah, and the other thing that VIF also offers, and you can buy tickets for that like separately from um, from the films, is that uh, a few conferences. Uh, I'm not really sure that I'd call them conferences, but one of them is um, called Totally Indie Day, and it's basically a, an entire day dedicated to. Um, talking about from production, um, pre-production, post-production, distribution, and all of those things. And um, there is obviously like a fee to participate in it, but it's an entire day thing. It seems really, really cool. There's more information in their website. Um, yeah. Just a lot of things. I mean. Yeah, like I'm really excited about VIF, and I want you guys to be super excited as well, because it is a local um festival and it does show a, lo a lot of local films that you wouldn't get to a chance to see otherwise so you get to see stuff that's made in vancouver made in bc about store about people in bc well sometimes not all the time but there have been some amazing documentaries that come out of VIF, and if you're interested in documentaries among other things it's really worth um to take a look at it yeah, and our kind of other core, our other main star of our show, Jay Clark, is also doing a lot of interviews, and so we're going to play one of the interviews um, he's uh, done with uh, Sola Fielder. God, I hope. I'm so bad at names. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, we're going to show you that interview, and then when we're back, we have another interview with another uh, VIF star. Um, oh, no, no. Uh, we have another interview with um, some more people, um, I, I think it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm really bad at things, um, but yeah, so we'll get right back, and then we'll kind of see if anyone does any calls. Okay, talk to you guys later. ...to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. You probably already know that. My name is Jake Clark, and this is, well, we, we were calling it the Derailed Podcast, but we, we maybe might try jawboning for a little bit. We might, it, it, it's like Chris Pratt's band in Parks and Recreation. The name might, you know, cycle through a few things. In any case, I'm joined today by Sola Fiedler, artist, former proprietor of the Soft Rock Cafe in Kitsilano, and presenter of Leap and the Loom Will Appear, which is currently on Granville Island and is a career retrospective of some very impressive tapestries. Sola, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, Leap in the Loom Will Appear, as we mentioned, is a, an interesting exhibition because of the medium involved. For those of our audience who are unfamiliar with textiles and tapestry, can you sort of unpack it a little bit? Like, what's the nature of some of the works presented? Well, in the old days, there was no cameras or e even painters 
who recorded the battle scenes as well as a large tapestry. And because the uh, there was no central heating either, a lot of the castles were kept warm by these gigantic tapestries hanging on the walls. Like the Bayou Tapestry? That is actually an embroidered kind of quilt. But it tells a story, and a lot of tapestries are telling very important stories. And I go to each Olympic city and capture it at that moment in time, and that's the story that I'm telling. It's very interesting to read some of these exhibitions or tapestries for as, like, Salt Lake City, which is a place that I don't know if many of our audience have a fixed image of it in our brain. What kind of symbols come into play when you're thinking of Salt Lake City? Well, um, I generally think, because I was going to do the Olympics, I think of all the venues, so I'm thinking of the the ski parks and and the, um, the many venues that are spread out all over. So it's quite a large area for each tapestry to cover. How large are the tapestries themselves? They're mostly uh, over 11 feet wide and 7 or 8 feet high. The Atlanta Tapestry, I made a big mistake. I made it 17 feet high and 14 feet wide. And I didn't think, and where is this going to hang after you finished it? Because <laughs> it needed a three-story space to hang in. Well, and if you're hanging tapestries as insulation, you're not going to be able to hang it in Atlanta. No. Uh, most cities now don't have very high lobbies. Space is very valuable. And they don't normally now build those beautiful big lobbies and corporate entrances. Because tapestries really do befit like grand halls, like sort yes, of yes. meeting areas. There's an almost that's, epic tone. That's my it. kind of tapestry. Very often tapestry artists learn that those are so difficult to sell that they better start making pieces that are like two feet by three feet and fit in an average residence. Are those common, resident-sized tapestries? Yes, that's a survival mechanism. I have now done recently several that are only four feet tall and can go behind the couch. About the same size as like a large painting. Yes. Obviously, it's a different sort of discipline to create a tapestry as a painting. How long does it take to put together one of these epic tapestries and what sort of work goes into that? It takes two to three years. Usually that's between a summer and a winter Olympics. So I am usually racing from one, one city to the next city because literally every day counts. I finished the Sydney Tapestry one hour before the opening ceremony. was, And it was unveiled at the opening ceremony? No, I actually did it. I like to do them in public. I pick a very uh, public location, and people come and watch me actually work for two or three years. And that's an aid also in selling it. And you're living in the city at this time? Yes. I move from country to country with the Olympics. And I must admit, I'm... I don't plan to do Paris 2024. If Calgary gets 2026, I'm there. But what I'm really looking forward to is L.A. for 2028, and I will be 92 right in the middle of the Olympics, so I'm going to celebrate my birthday standing in front of the L.A. tapestry. So I'm actually thinking 10 years ahead, thanks to the Olympic Committee. Usually they pick their city six years ahead, but they were kind enough to to actually do a 10-year ahead. They awarded two summer games at the same time. Well, that's a pretty terrific way to organize your travel schedule, too. <laughs> Was there a favorite city 
uh, that you've lived in while making these tapestries? Actually, Vancouver. I did a tapestry of Vancouver for Expo 86. That was my very first tapestry, and it was bought and given to Jim Patterson as a thank you gift. And I thought, oh, this is a great thank you gift, and I can go anywhere in the world and do this. And I left the next day, and then I actually didn't come back for 30 years. But when we got the Olympics, I raced back here from Las Vegas, where I had spent three years doing the Vegas tapestry, which wasn't Olympics. But I had read of an article that said they were going to blow up all the lovely old hotels like the Stardust and the Sahara and the New Frontier and build condominiums on the Strip. And I was so horrified. I raced there and did a huge tapestry of the entire six-and-a-half-mile Strip from the Mandalay Bay all the way up to the real city of Las Vegas where the Golden Nugget is. And they were blowing up the hotels as I was working my way up the Strip. So they blew up five while I was working on it, and they have blown up six since. So it becomes also a historical document. As you can imagine, the one I did for Expo 86, Vancouver looked like a little village. It only took me three months to do that tapestry, and the biggest building was the Hydro Building. Now, the last tapestry I did for Vancouver took me five years because the city has grown so much. And already since 2010, we've got a new stadium, maybe 50 new condominium towers, and it it has just grown incredibly since even I did the one in 2010. That's got to be quite a way to look at Vancouver too, especially because you were running the Soft Rock Cafe in Kitsilano in, what was it? Was it uh... 1976, I think I built. It was an old mattress factory with two huge empty lots on each side. And West 4th Avenue was pretty well deserted then. In any given block, there were maybe two businesses and a lot of empty buildings. Seafront radio station was opposite and the Georgia Strait was just up the street. They Sorry about that everyone. We're just gonna have to pause for a minute as we do some ads and PSAs, but we'll get right back into that interview. That sounds amazing and is really, really interesting. Okay, talk to you guys in a bit. <laughs> something new or make your own clothes we've got you covered here at the ams knitting and sewing club we provide you lessons on knitting crochet and sewing and a space to craft your own projects and meet with other people that share your passions like us on facebook at ams knitting and sewing club Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. for sticking with us we're right back to our segment on our kind of podcast segment uh jawbone with sola fielder um and we'll just get right back into that because it's really freaking interesting 
were on the second floor. And so we often got the staff in for double expresses first thing in the morning. It was about 500 seats with a huge stage so I could get a band of maybe 12 people on it and a big dance floor. And then on Friday nights, for sure, I brought in bands for the kids. There was no alcohol. That was the beauty of the place. Because I'd had four coffee houses in Yorkville in the 60s, and I knew I could survive on selling coffee. Whereas when I came to Vancouver, there were no coffee houses. And when I tried to borrow money, everyone (laughs) said, all the banks, for instance, well, if you put alcohol in there, you can have all the money you want. But coffee? No way. And if you can imagine Vancouver with no coffee houses, the only place I could get a coffee was to go over to Commercial Drive. They had espresso machines, you know, in their restaurants. But it was quite interesting because when we opened, we had to teach people what a cappuccino and a cafe au lait were. They had no idea. Fast forward to now, you walk down <laughs> West 4th, it's, it's harder to find places where you can can't get a coffee. coffee. Yes. Even if it's not a restaurant, they'll give one to you. Exactly. And with the some of the acts booked, I sort sort of thinking about this because the venues in Vegas that you mentioned earlier are famous for iconic acts, and you hosted Ravi Shankar and Dexter Gordon, among others. I'm yes. wondering if you had a, a favorite act or or guest that you booked. I think probably Oregon, which was a very very fine jazz quartet, and literally you'd have five people in there, and you could hear a pin drop. But that was with many acts. There was such a respect for people who composed their own material and didn't play cover music. And I used to have many an argument with BNI, uh, BMI and ASCAP because they would want to license me. And I'd say, nobody plays cover material under my roof. And that was part of the attraction because many singer-songwriters and bands got their start there because they wanted to perform their own material, and that was really important to them. And in the 60s, back in Toronto, like the kids, my very first coffee house, these kids would come in and play, sit in the corner, and we'd actually pass the hat. And it was Joni Mitchell and Gordon Lightfoot and Neil Young and David Clayton Thomas and many people that have gone on. In fact, they didn't want to work for passing the hat, and I had to build a bigger coffee house of 140 seats. But then we ran out of performers because there weren't enough in Canada and I would drive to Greenwich Village in New York and sign up anybody I found in those little clubs so it would be Richie Havens and James Taylor and Chris Christopherson and they were just kids they were just starting out it was amazing and um, even then I was trying to find women artists to equally balance out the number of men I thought about the other day and it was really tough there were about 10 male artists to every female and there was Judy Collins and Caroline Hester and a few others, but there were way more many men in that business in those days. It was very hard to break in as a woman. I yeah, it was. wasn't hard to break into a coffee house. On Yorkville, there must have been about 20 of them. And we were all open all the time. I was open till 6 o'clock in the morning, every day. 6 in the morning, no alcohol. Packed, absolutely packed, every seat taken. So everyone's there like, okay, we want to see, hear something original. That's where you go. Some of them hadn't even had an album out at that point. But there was this this underground that knew all about them. The subterraneans. And and there'd still be lineups around the block at 2 o'clock in the morning. And there'd be like 12 inches of snow. And those people were so determined. 
this is maybe, you know, the only way they could hear them. Well, it's like the, the greatest thing when you're running any kind of venues when you see the queue. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's a line from 24-Hour Party People was that they said in, in the in the book, I think. Apropos of breaking in, there was one thing you said to me earlier about making it as an artist, which you've done with great aplomb. And that's, but it is a, a tough business. And you're telling me, was it 98% of art students after two years are no longer pursuing Making art. art. And I just want to know what your feel is on that, what you're thinking of the scene right now, how a lifetime of making art brings to bear. Well, fortunately, nobody ever told me that statistic. I was making art for a long time on my own, and then I went to the Vancouver School of Art, which was downtown on Dunsmuir, and I was 36 years old. I didn't have a portfolio like a young student would have, but they accepted me. They said, oh, this will be fun if you're, you're an older person. It'll be fun for the students to hang out with you. So I wanted to work with textiles, and there was nobody to teach me, so they just gave me the money to buy all my own materials, and I used the art school as a studio space. I made all kinds of sculptures in ropes and twine, and I sold each piece as I went along, and I thought, oh, this is a great business to be in. And then after about two and a half years, I asked my teacher, I said, so if I get a degree, what... You know, what will that mean? He said, oh, you can teach. And I thought, I don't want to teach. So I left the next day and went and opened an art gallery, (laughs) a studio art gallery on the front of where the stores are in Deep Cove and did extremely well making and selling my sculptured three-dimensional textile pieces and some wall hangings. And then I, as I said, I wanted a coffee. I went downtown, couldn't find one, went to Commercial Drive, and on the strength of a double cappuccino, came back and found that building on West 4th Avenue. So I um, had a lot of pieces, and I hung them in the coffee house, and they all sold quite quickly. And that was one of the things I realized. If you sit down for 20 minutes and have a coffee, you can fall in love with with a piece of art. And most art galleries, that doesn't happen. People come in, they walk around, they walk out of the door. They do not give themselves time to fall in love with it. So selling your art in a coffee house or a restaurant or where they're trapped in front of the baggage carousel in the airport or someplace where people are trapped for 20 minutes, they have time to fall in love with and buy your art. Is there coffee at Leap in the Loom Will Appear? No. This was uh, just one of the recycling I love recycled buildings, and and I've done many. And Granville Island, of course, is filled with them. And uh, six weeks ago, I went down to visit an art show, and the and Jennifer Windsor said, "Why don't I? This is a pop up for two weeks." And she said, "Why don't you rent it for two weeks?" So I did, and it's quite a big undertaking. You've got to have insurance and above the things like rent and. You do have to have a publicist, otherwise nobody knows you're there. It's quite art is quite a business nowadays. And mostly I've I've figured out a lot of things. If you can make art and do reproductions like a print of a tapestry, you can my first run of prints was ten thousand off what my Key West tapestry. I sold them in nine months and that provided a wonderful cash flow that got me through to the next tapestry just in case that original piece, whatever it is, 
doesn't sell, you can make prints. And most people have got like $25 in their pocket. They don't have $25,000 for that original piece. So that's one of the ways that as a, an artist you can survive. I'll be at 1359 Cartwright on Granville Island for the next two weeks. And if any student wants to come down and talk to me about how to survive making art. I've had a lot of experiences, including opening more than one gallery. I've opened three. I've been all over the world selling art, not just in North America. I've been to Australia and, you know, a few other places. And I've come across a few ways that you can survive, including doing the piece in public, which most artists wouldn't think of doing. They do it in private in their studio, where no one can see them making mistakes. I don't mind making mistakes in public. I'm just unpicking it. And sometimes the public actually points out because they know what I'm trying to depict. And they'll say, you didn't get the color of that bridge right. And often they're right. Like heckling you? Sort of. But, you know, I really enjoy actually talking to people while I'm working on something like that because... There's a real emotional connection. They will come up to my tapestry and they'll point and say, that's my house. Or they'll point and say, that's the hotel where I'm staying. <laughs> so if you maybe want to chime in a little in that respect, where just 1359 where and when? Cartwright Street on Granville Island. And we're open from 11 till 6. And I would welcome anybody, you know, who just wants to come down and Look and touch the art. My art is made all from recycled materials, so a hundred hands have already touched that sweater that I've unraveled or that bikini that I'm cutting up. I put all kinds of clothes and jewelry and furs into my work, and I love people, and especially kids, to touch it, and that's usually totally forbidden in any art gallery. Well, there you go. Go give the tapestry a feel, learn a little <laughs> about art. Sola, it was terrific to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry, but if no one goes to Sola's art thing, I might actually die. I love her already. I'm and and I like really love art galleries that like let you touch the art. Yeah, that's it's so like cool. a huge plus for me. I think that's so cool because like it's just like it's another way to just be like a part of the like artwork. Oh man, I I really want to go now. That was such an interesting talk. And we have another interesting interview with our Jawbone segment, our new stylized Jawbone segment um, with Laura Harris. So give a listen. Hope you guys enjoy it. Round two. We're coming back at you here with the Jawbone Feature Podcast. And our current guest is Laura Harris, contributor to the upcoming Cascadia Project, courtesy of UBC Creative Writing. Laura, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I can't complain. Life is good. So you're involved in the project as well as a contributor in terms of uh, a play, which is Destiny, if I'm correct? Uh, Destiny USA. Could you unpack those things? Could you tell yeah. us what the Cascadia Project is about and what Destiny's about? Yeah, definitely. So the Cascadia Project came out of a need to present new works by Brian Wade, and it's actually his company, and this is the launching of his company. And he's a professor here at the University of British Columbia. He's the playwriting instructor. And really, basically, I mean, you know how the fringe lottery goes. We, We couldn't get into the lottery. So we decided to 
put up our own thing. And so what has come out of that is six shows made up of either current MFA students in the creative writing program or an alumni. And they're all very different. Uh, It's a really diverse group of programming. But with that, we're all coming together from different places. My friend Izzy is a queer playwright who is writing a francophone piece based in Quebec. And then we also have myself who's presenting a piece about my experience living in the U.S. And then my friend Tommy has a totally vastly different play. It's all about puns. So it's a really diverse group of programming. Fiona, who is the alumni of the BFA program, is doing a drama. And the nice thing about it is it's kind of 50-50 presenting playwrights. So 50% female, 50% male, which I think is really great. Equal representation. The pieces are comedic, satirical, dramatic. Brian's piece actually is a premiere and it's all about the opioid crisis in Vancouver and the actors. Yeah, so all the actors play multiple characters. So there's a real diversity and we're all coming together to put on this festival. And Destiny, which is yours, would you say that's a more of a comedy, more of a satire or more of a drama? I I would say it's a comedy drama. Uh, It's a solo show. I'm presenting the piece myself and it's Destiny USA, which is uh, the name of the mall in Syracuse, New York. Ironically, I think it was meant to be like a Mall of America type title to get people to go there, even though it might be the only reason to visit Syracuse, New York. That and Wegmans. Both of those two reasons are a reason to go to Syracuse, New York. Wegmans is our local grocery store, and it's amazing. Syracuse is a real rough town. It's blue collar. It doesn't have a ton of culture. It has a bit, but it's not enough. It's growing, but slowly. University of Syracuse has given us Joe Biden and the Chainsmokers. That's true. That's true. And, And you know what? Actually, I will say Syracuse University has a beautiful campus. It has a very good creative writing program as well. But it, it's funny. It feels like the university kind of sucks up a lot of the population. But then in the summer when all the kids are away, it's kind of almost like a ghost town in some ways. So yeah, it's it's an odd place. It's rough. And it kind of represents how I feel about America right now, which is like, you know, it's a little bit downtrodden. Well, Canada-U.S. relations are, as I see them, sort of approaching an infinite jest level of dysfunctional at this point. Does the play deal with that specifically, or is it more of just an, uh, something that hangs over it? Oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you what the play is about, actually. It's about me moving to the U.S., as well as my first job as a relay operator for the deaf and hard of hearing. So I interpreted phone calls all across America, and I will say that this is based on true stories rather than then it is a true story because, you know, I'm dealing with real people in real situations. So I did have to fictionalize some character names and some of the situations are slightly fictionalized, but they are based on my experience listening in on phone conversations all across America. And for me, it was getting to the heart of who people really are in the U.S. And some of it is pretty outrageous and some of it is really heartwarming and touching. So it's getting to the nugget of truth of the complexity that is the U.S. and its people right now. And by complexity, could you unpack that a little bit? Like what's sort of the range that you're experiencing? Well, for example, you know, having Trump supporters on the phone versus, you know, having a beautiful conversation between a husband and wife and the wife has gone into rehab. So it's, you know, dealing with the everyday struggles that the people are going through as well as the naivete or the ignorance that there is within the population as well. And I had to say, you know, I will explain that they type out what they want me as the interpreter to say. And one time I had to say a racist remark which I never thought I would ever have to do on the phone, but I did. How bad? It was It was basically, you black people are all the same, useless, which is, you know, pretty 
pretty blatantly racist as far as I'm Saying that to the person on the other end of the, oh, that's awkward. And the thing is, they can't see each other, so how do you know that they're black? And the other person hilariously said, I'm not black. And I started to laugh on the phone because it's ridiculous. It it was just bizarre. It was such an amazing, bizarre, funny, dark moment. It's like a black Klansman a little bit happens in. Yeah, yeah. Like, but the reverse of that, obviously. So it was a really, really fascinating thing. And when the person, obviously I have to type back the person saying, um, ma'am, I'm not black. They didn't even, they didn't even respond to that. And you know, it's just fascinating. What you hear on the phone, you're like, okay, yeah, I, now I can believe anybody can say anything because I've heard it all on the phone. And how do you present this in the one person show? Do you do the voices? I do the voices. Yeah. I had, I had been struggling with the idea of maybe having projections, but my issue with that is as a performer, you're always going to be competing with the screen. So I decided to allow the audience to use their own imagination and be surprised by what I'm saying because I think that's the joy of the show. If there's sort of one thing you can leave on sort of one observation about Canada, the U.S., the process of moving back and well forth from Canada and the U.S., what would you say it is? The people do have a good heart. They have a big heart. They're very earnest in so many different ways, but there is a lack of clarity. And this isn't necessarily addressed in my show, but it's just something that I've observed, which is they're just trying to get their footing. They're trying to survive day to day. And I think that is actually addressed in the show, that everybody's just trying to get by. And all this discourse is a distraction from actually treating the people with real respect and real love, which is what people are striving to do yeah so that's what i would say is going on and unfortunately we're just hearing the news you know yes that that is unfortunate because i don't know about you but i have to alternate any kind of watching the news with watching an episode of letter kenny just to quell my rage yeah <laughs> definitely i mean that's it i mean that that's 100 percent. we're in this position where we we don't quite know what to do because it changes all the time it's it's absolutely insane and if we want to Sorry, we're going to have to pause it again. We're actually going to have to pause that amazing and interesting interview to do some ads and PSAs, but we'll go right back to it, I swear. It's actually, I'm listening to it as well. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. Um, So yeah, we'll be right there. Here's some ads and PSAs. Have you ever thought about going abroad to study, work, intern, or learn a language? Mark Sunday, October 21st in your calendar and get down to the Vancouver Convention Center East Building to find out how. All the experts under one roof. Top universities, gap year specialists, and student travel organizations. Feature seminar on scholarships starts at noon and expo opens at 1 p.m. Admission is free. Check online at studyandgoabroad.com for more info. Thousands of opinions are at our fingertips. But are all opinions informed? Does your information have a source? Is your social feed based on fact? Only facts can uncover the truth. Professional journalists are committed to balanced and nonpartisan reporting, to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need. Journalism is essential to democracy. A watchdog over the powerful. An independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. So we're heading right back into the interview so we can listen to... It's super interesting. So here you go again. This is Laura Harris's interview for the Jawbones segment. 
cover the truth. Professional journalists are committed to taking this show. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the actual, the entire Cascadia Project Festival opens on September the 26th, runs until October the 7th, and there will be a charity fundraising performance of Brian Wade's play on uh, October the 7th at 2 p.m., and all proceeds go to charity in, in regards to the opioid crisis. And um, my particular show is going to be a double bill with Pun Pals by Tom Grimley, Tommy Grimley, I should say, and that is going to be September 28th at 7.30, September 29th at 2 p.m., October the 3rd at 7.30, and October the 4th at 7.30, and this is all at Studio 1398 on Granville Island. All right. We'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. All right. It was terrific to have you. Yeah, very much so. Thank you. break a leg with the show. Thank you. Cheers. Wasn't that interview, like, really interesting? Um, It it was. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of want to go see your show now. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I never really thought about that kind of, like thing where you're you are the interpreter having to interpret things that you might not want to say um how that like how kind of that's like the you find like humor in that but like also it's like really dark humor which is interesting kind of what we were talking about on dark humor um yeah so just wanted to let everyone know just once again we have our giveaways for kind of three things another shout out to the chance center for doing kind of two giveaways one of them for the amazing uh hawaii hawaiian poet uh koala koala i hope i'm saying that right god um on october the 3rd at 7 30 p.m and then there's also the i'm with her which is a folk super group that is also not is also at 7 p.m um and on september the 30th so call us up for that we also have the um the uh incognito mode uh uh i kind of just think of it as the porn play (laughs) which is really bad of me that's all my fault that's on me uh on incognito mode to play about porn they're also giving out tickets uh to go see their show which will be super amazing. They have one on September the 27th and October the 14th. And Leona and I will be there if you guys want to meet us. If you guys want to come talk to us on And September. be like, hey, I thought this and this and this. And or we'll like, be like, you're really annoying. <laughs> you like ramble a lot. No, I'll be don't like, do that, you're guys. right. <laughs> you can do that to me because I'm all about taking, <laughs> taking that shit. Um, yeah, so we have those uh, going on right now. Uh, just a heads up that if you can, you call us at 604-822-2487 to get one of those tickets. We're going to just kind of put you on air. And if you are kind of shy about the air, you can always message us on our Facebook page, CITR Art Support. Also kind of like follow us on that. <laughs> yeah. Also, our Instagram is back on air. Um, we're having posts, posts constantly now. And um, <laughs> it's our fault. We haven't been yeah. engaging. But we're back. The we're back, guys. But we're back, and we're here to engage. So yeah. Hopefully. So if you ever have any doubts and you're not a really Facebook fan, there's always Instagram. But like, be a Facebook fan. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's where uh, I give you kind of heads up. And, like, if you miss the show, you can always – you'll be able to look at our Facebook page to get the uh, uh, podcast of our show as well, since we do this all live. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we're going to just talk a little bit more about the Vancouver International Film Festival um, because there's just so many films. Oh, my God. 
there was a really interesting film we were talking about um that was uh it was about the uh sharks oh yeah so if you're interested okay there are actually two films they're both documentaries um if you're interested in ecology and how humans are shaping the world they might be super interesting for you so I know of, about the yeah. that the one that so, you're going to talk about. So yeah, shark water extinction. So it's um it's like a follow-up to the director's first film, Shark Water. So he produced Shark Water in 2006 and now he's producing Shark Water Extinction. Actually the person he he passed away, Rob Stewart. Yeah. Because I remember a friend that was really, really into Oh, yeah. Him. It's a testament to yeah. Stewart's commitment. And no, it's I, but it says that it's directed by him he, or it features like, him at least. Yeah, it features him. But they uh, I think he uh, if I remember correctly. Oh, man, I'm going to look this up, but continue talking about what yeah. it was. So basically, it's going it's a movie that talks about um, the uh, the ocean ecosystem underwater ecosystem and endangered sharks and how people are shaping that and like what can we do to i mean not sure not really help but like show what's going on um basically it follows rob stewart's journey and trying to like go across the world and track um the corruption that's allowing the shark like people to kill this many sharks um so a uh, very sad fact that it will be so basically like it's one of those movies one of those documentaries that you're gonna get a very like i want to save the world after it i feel because yeah. just a uh, really sad um statistic in the last 40 years the global shark population has dropped an almost 90 percent 90 percent and yeah you might not like sharks and you might be scared of them but guys every living form is so important to an ecosystem it doesn't matter how small or how big or how scary you think they are also like, sharks are cute <laughs> they have such an important role in balancing the ecosystem and without them like there will be an imbalance and an imbalance it's never good yeah so uh i looked it up and rob stewart sadly did pass away in 2017 um, so this might be, that was like a part of his last film, sadly. Um, I have, man, that's really oh, sad. Oh, yeah. in the last paragraph describing the movie, um, it's, uh, it's, this will, this was his last film and he did actually direct it, but he, he died during a diving accident during its production. Yeah. So, so he really like devoted his life to this movie so yeah and de devoted his life into helping kind of just get people more aware into this environment and and especially sharks themselves i think so yeah i definitely i know a friend who's definitely checking out and i think it's definitely a really good movie also sharks are really really cute again so <laughs> jot that down somewhere um yeah so we have those kind of movies we also have a movie called boy erased oh yeah so that one's more of a drama um it's about uh it's based on a memoir um garrett Conley's memoir it's an american movie and um it's his story going through gay conversion therapy and so 
obviously you already know it's going to be like a hard movie to watch but the fact that these things these the these therapies that are like not valid at all are still real and there are people that need like there are people out there that need to share this experience so people know that it's it's not okay like um it's uh the in the synopsis they have that um i think it's really interesting how they in the synopsis they have that the sentence that was constantly repeated to him that is you cannot be a be born a homosexual it's a choice and that's the only choice he really sees is whether he will um live a lie or lose the love of his family so i don't think that should even be a choice in anyone's life you know yeah and if okay i'm gonna go really drastic here (laughs) but like if someone can't love you because you're gay they didn't really love you at all in the first place just (laughs) they love the idea of you not the real you yeah oh man it's i really want to go see the movie but like i also like you're gonna cry i know (laughs) oh no no there's a definite yes i will cry like that's no that's not 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 even like (laughs) like that's not even like a guess it's definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna be crying but it's also like it's just like really hard to watch that if you're not in the like right kind of mindset or like prepared for it it, it'll just be like a really hard thing to watch um i want to talk about two more movies okay yeah please continue Um, (laughs) so one of them i'm gonna talk about i don't even uh like um I'm not sure if this is a documentary or a biopic or something like that. Um, but it's called An Evening with Jane. Or it might be just be a special event. Okay. Tell I'm me about it. I'm not really sure. But basically, do you guys remember Jane Goodall? You probably don't know her by the name. But she was a very important... Um, they might not they like, might not know her by name but they probably yeah, know what she, she's done. She she studied chimpanzees in the 1960s and she basically changed our entire perspective of how like of the anim- of the animals and how we interact with them and their intelligence and all of that. And she's coming she's actually going to be at BIF um, on October 4th. And so to give a talk um, I'm not sure if it's followed or not by a film or if it's just a talk. I think it probably is going to be like the talk and then the film or film or oh, talk. Oh, no, it's a feature. It's a feature. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's a feature and then there's a talk. So if you're interested interested in um, biology and like interactions of your human interactions with chimpanzees, this woman is absolutely amazing in what she did and what she does. And if you have the chance to go there and meet her, even if it's just like just listen to her and maybe just be like hi i want to take a picture because like she's the big deal she's it she's the the main star uh what was another one that you're talking about and the other one like you have yeah yeah yeah. we have the pamphlet right yeah that's why we're talking about so many (laughs) we don't have all this to memory committed to memory no um though i'm just gonna name because last time i was like oh i really want to watch this movie the brazilian movie and i never named it so the one about the uh, indigenous brazilian um is called the dead and the others and it's actually a feature but it's a feature that is uh where the directors 
went and lived with the tribe for a while so they actually like portray it well and not just like the fantasy fetishized version of what tribe life is and it's about this um man who has dreams um he's connected somehow to the spirit world and the spirit world tells him that he should become a shaman however he decides to go out of his indigenous society and go into um, look for an outside doctor so yeah so it's like the conflict between um indigenous society and the modern world and like where how do you fluctuate and how do you deal with that which sounds really cool especially because um there are so few and completely um by themselves indigenous societies today um brazil is one of the few places that still has a few completely untouched tribes um Yeah, and the the only way they know that is because satellite pictures and like airplanes flying overhead have taken pictures of them, but no one interacts with them and there's like entire programs specifically designed to protect them from interaction. Oh. Yeah, not protect them from interaction, but like as in like creating a barrier or anything like that, but like not going into their area because they understand it as their like it's their way of life and um some of the not it wasn't even attempted as like more like accidental encounters have been quite aggressive as expected because you know yeah they're still living in the tribe culture from very similar from like when brazil was discovered 500 years ago so yeah so that's an interesting (laughs) side note (laughs) get to learn more about brazil yeah we have this one sounds interesting as well yeah so <laughs> everything as, sounds so yeah, interesting everything like, sounds super cool so definitely uh vancouver international film festival get passes get tickets look at the ooh. stuff that you want to do they look so cool and a reminder if you don't have the patience to watch a feature length film there are shorts so there's like entire evenings just of shorts and the shorts are like 10 minutes 20 minutes and you sit down and you watch a bunch or you can leave halfway through and like come in and come out. I don't know how it works exactly. But basically, if you don't want to watch a full feature and you want to watch like tiny movies that are super cool, they also have that. So, yeah, <laughs> do, that. <laughs> do that. Check that out. Yeah. Um, so we'll I think that's the rest of our show. Again, we still have those tickets here. Just email us on Facebook as we're going to be off air. Uh, coming up is going to be the medicine show. Get ready for them. It's going to be really awesome. It looks like they're going to have a great time. Um, yeah, so we'll see you again next Wednesday. Give you some reviews. Give you some interviews. You know how it goes. Yep. See you guys later. Yeah, so the message Don't need you. So see ya. Don't need you, so see you, don't need you.